Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy It's so good to be here, and yes, um, Canada is very cold for us. So we have the privilege of being in a place where it is like 30 degrees all year round, and uh, I know very sad, you can feel sorry for us, but uh, so when we come here, yeah, we got our sweaters on and all of that. Now before uh, I get into the Word, I just, uh, first of all, I want to say thank you uh, to Duncan for your support, for your prayers over all these years. It, uh, it makes a huge difference uh, for us, for our ministry. Uh, so just thank you. Thank you, like Pastor Peter said, for your generosity and, and for your prayers, uh, because really it's a spiritual work, and uh, we do spiritual work in spiritual ways, and so we need your prayer. Um, but before I do get into the message, I have a little gift for you all, and I'm going to, oh, it's upside down here. There we go. So this is from our country, and because we're doing a live stream, I can't actually say the name of our country that we're in. We're in Asia, and I'll be telling you a little bit more about that. But this is a batik handmade uh, for you all, and uh, the people that, that made this actually weren't believers, but uh, hopefully, as they were putting this scripture on this batik that we asked them to do, um, we're hoping that some of the words of the Scripture settled into their hearts. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Peter and Andrew, here you go. You guys can put it somewhere, and uh, hopefully remember us too. And uh, yeah. Um, well, what I want to do this morning is uh, just look briefly uh, at the Word of God and then share a little bit about what we're doing overseas. Uh, and again, my wife, uh, Vera, and our uh, kids, Daniel, Paul, and Anna, are here. And uh, we'll be at the back afterwards. You can connect, say hi. Um, I know we'd, they'd love to chat with you as well, as would I. But let's turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the story of the prodigal son. Now, it's a story that probably you're familiar with, you've heard before. But uh, hopefully, we'll look at it uh, maybe in a slightly different angle this morning. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 15. Uh, before we do that, let's pray. So Father in heaven, I thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for your church. And that, Lord, no matter where we are in the world, Lord, as we come together to worship, Lord, we are one bride of Christ. We are the church. And so I thank you for your work here in Duncan, Lord, and in the lives and families of each one here. And Lord, I ask that now as we look at your word that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you change our lives, that, Lord, your word would be like a seed that's planted deep in the soil and bears much fruit. So we thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to just uh, jump right in. Luke chapter 15, what I'm going to do is read the first couple of verses and then jump down to the story of the prodigal son. 
Uh, so verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, that is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So kind of in response to that, Jesus tells a few stories. First of all, the story of the lost coin, or the lost sheep actually, and then the lost coin, and then the lost son. And so I'm going to skip down to verse 11, where Jesus begins to tell, tell about the lost son. So Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Excuse me for a second. So here's the situation. Jesus is being accosted by these Pharisees who are wondering why in the world is he spending time with sinners? And so in response to this, Jesus tells these three parables. You see, the Pharisees were wondering, why is Jesus hanging out with those people, the wrong people? They're not religious enough. They're not good enough. They've messed up. And Jesus actually was spending time with them. And some people were confused. Why is this man who's supposed to be holy and a prophet and a good teacher hanging out with these people? And so it was just you know, a natural question in one sense uh, that these people had. And so this was Jesus' reply and his explanation. And as I said, he gave three parables. And it's interesting because um, there's an increase, if you read these three parables, there's an increase in the amount of what is lost. See, Jesus told the parable of the lost sheep. Well, there was one, 100 sheep and one of them was lost, right? So 99 were fine and the shepherd goes out and looks for that one lost sheep. Then the next parable, it's the, the lost coin. The lady has 10 coins, and she loses one, 10% of what she had. And she goes and uh, seeks to find this lost coin, eventually finds it. And then with the son, we have this father who has two sons, and he loses one of them. Well, that's 50%. There's an increase in the amount of what is lost, but there's also an increase in the value of what was lost. I mean, you know, losing a sheep, one out of a hundred, that's, that's pretty important. You know, it's your livelihood. Uh, to lose that, that's not a good thing. But to lose one of your only two sons, well, now that's a tragedy. And it, so there's an increase in the value and of, an increase in what, uh, how precious these things are. But in each one of these, there's a point that is given at the end. And if you read the last line of each of these stories, you'll see the main point. So in verse 7, when Jesus speaks about this parable of the lost sheep, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And again in the lost coin, in verse 10 it says, In the same way I tell you that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so the point of each one of these, and we'll see it in the story of the prodigal son as well, is that God rejoices when sinners repent, God rejoices. Heaven rejoices when the lost is found. So that's the context. So let's now get into the story of the prodigal son here. 
As we read, the son leaves. And as you may have heard before, when this son asks his father for his inheritance, and he packs it all up, and he takes his money and leaves, this was incredibly rude. This was dishonoring and terribly offensive to the dad and to the whole family. Essentially, the son was saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. Right? Because people only got their inheritance when the the parents passed away, when the dad passed away. So he was basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want to go live my own life. I want to do my own thing. Now, hopefully none of you have ever heard that, those words from your children. But imagine how deeply that must have cut the father. How deeply must have wounded the father. Dad, just give me the stuff. I don't care about you. I just want some money. I want to go have a good time. And so the son was off. Essentially, the son was disowning his family, turning his back on his family, saying, I want nothing to do with you anymore. He was disowning them. And you know, it was expected that the father and the family would disown the son as well. Now, in our uh, context where we live, so where we live in Asia, we live in a Muslim country, and unfortunately, in, in many parts of Asia, disowning still happens very much today. You know, what happens when Christians turn to faith, when, uh, when uh, people turn to Christ from a different faith, right? And so maybe somebody grew up in a Muslim home, and they come to know Jesus, and they get baptized and begin to follow Jesus. The family often disowns them. Sometimes they will have a mock funeral as if this person had died. We have one friend who was a ministry partner for a while in our city, and he was from a Muslim background, from another a different Muslim country, and he came and was working amongst us and, and with us. And when he came to faith, again, from that background, his, the rest of his whole family were Muslim. Um, they not only disowned him, they tried to kill him. They tried to poison him. Then they sent some people after him to try to kill him. They hit him on the head, and he was, um, he was wounded, uh, hurt for, it took him quite a while to recover. But that's the kind of antagonism that people have against Christians when, when people come to faith. But basically, in that culture, very similar to the culture of the Middle East at this time, if somebody did something dishonoring like this, they would disown them and want to have nothing to do with them. So again, essentially, the son was saying, you know what? I'm disowning you. I'm rejecting you as my family. I want to go live my own life, do my own thing. You know, the son, when he packed up and left, he wasn't just leaving for vacation. He was leaving for good. He was leaving for good. Now, of course, as we read, the son gets in trouble. You know, so he parties for a while. He enjoys the pleasures of sin for a while, but it didn't last, and it never does. You know, sin is enticing for a while, but then comes the trouble. Then comes the woundedness. Then comes the brokenness. So soon, this son, he finds himself out of cash, hungry. And to make matters worse, there's a famine in the land. And so what does he do? Well, as the text says, he goes and he hires himself out feeding pigs. You know, somebody once said that sin will take you farther than you wanted to go, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, and cost you more than you wanted to pay. You know, it's true in the prodigal son's story, and it's true in our lives as well today. You know, that's the consequence. That's the effect 
of sin. It looks enticing for a while, but then what looked like fun suddenly becomes chains around us and bondage that breaks us. And so this son found that out. And so he did something that no good, self-respecting Jew would ever do. He went and worked in a pig farm. Now, to us, that's not, you know, such a huge deal. But for a Jewish person, that was huge. And again, uh, thinking about our context, so again, we live in a Muslim country, in a Muslim context. And uh, pork is uh, not kosher or not halal, they say, uh, where we are. So uh, people cannot touch pork, cannot eat pork, um, you know, could never work in like a pig farm, that kind of thing, right? So for example, one of the first few weeks that we were in this country that we're in, I went to the grocery store. I didn't you know, know or realize all the rules at first. And uh, you know, everything in the store is halal. That means you know, it hasn't touched pork and it's okay uh, for Muslims to eat. All right, that's fine. But in the back of the store, in most grocery stores where we are, there's a non-halal section. So you can actually go and buy bacon. Now, I like bacon. I don't know about you. And uh, so I was like, oh, yeah, because I thought at first that, hey, you know, no more bacon, no more salami for me in this country. But there was the non-halal section. So uh, I went back and I got, you know, this uh, package of bacon. And again, I didn't realize all the rules. What you're supposed to do is pay for it back there. They have a cashier separately in the non-halal section. And you, uh, somebody who's not Muslim is there. And they will actually bring it through for you. And they'll package it up. And they'll put it in a separate bag and tape it so that uh, the porkness does not you know, come out of that bag, all right? So that's what they do, but I didn't realize that. So I took this package of bacon, went to the front, you know, and uh, I had this nice Muslim lady who was kind of, uh, you know, ringing in all, all the stuff that I was buying. And when it got to the bacon there sitting on the conveyor belt, she kind of looked shocked. And she looked at me and she looked at the package of bacon. And then she looked at me and looked at the package of bacon and she wouldn't touch it. And so she said, pick it up. And so, I, you know, I picked it up, and uh, she got the little scanner, hand scanner, kind of found the barcode, and kind of from a, a safe distance zapped it, you know, and kind of rang it through like that. And, and so I realized that, you know what, I can't do this. I, I have to be very careful to always purchase it in the non-halal section. You know, so this dear lady, she was, you know, she was gracious and nice and all, but, um, uh, you know, she was so worried that if she even touched the package, that some of the, maybe the pork grease or something would get in her fingers. Maybe then she would accidentally touch her lips and maybe ingest it, and then she'd be unclean, right? So they're very strict. You can't go near anything to do with pork or pig or whatever it might be like that. And so it was very similar to the Jewish culture of Jesus' day. And so for this son to go work in this, you know, pig farm, that was unthinkable. He was stooping down to be like the lowest of the low. He was breaking all the rules. But then the story continues. So we're going to read now from verse 17 to verse 24. So verse 17 says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. 
The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to him, or said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the son comes to his senses. He uh, realizes, you know, that uh, it's better in the father's house than here in the pig pen. So he packs up his things and he heads home. You know, it's interesting. He didn't actually return to the father out of love for his father. He returned to the father out of love for his own stomach. He was hungry. He was hungry. And, um, you know, he was in need. And it's often need that brings people to Christ even today, helps them recognize their need. Maybe, you know, not everybody understands really who he is, but because they need something from God. Often it's a crisis that helps us realize our need. And when people hit rock bottom, then their eyes are opened. Oh, it's so much better to come to Jesus before you hit rock bottom. But for this boy, in this story, it was hitting rock bottom that helped him to realize his need. So all the same, he repents. He humbles himself. He actually recognizes that he's hurt others. He's hurt his father. He's hurt God. He says, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He realizes he's not worthy to be in the family. He's worthy of judgment. He recognizes that. So he turns around and he heads the other way. And you know, this is a good description of repentance because that's what repentance is. It's a recognition of your own sin and a, a turning, a change of mind and a change of heart that makes you turn direction to return to God. You know, it's more than just believing in God. You know, the Bible, as we go through and you read about um, the message of the gospel, it's not just believe. You know, everybody believes in God, or not everybody, but many people, they believe in God. Many people believe in Jesus. But that's not what the Bible puts forward. It doesn't just say believe. It says repent and believe. And repentance is a recognition that we've gone the wrong way. It's a recognition that, you know what, we've messed things up. And we need to turn around, leave that behind, and go back to the Father. So it's more than just come to Jesus and everything will be better. It's admit you've gone the wrong way and return. Essentially, it's just as he had disowned his family, now he needed to disown his sin, disown his selfishness to return to the Father. And so the son makes that long journey home. And as he's walking, he's replaying what he's going to be saying to his father. And he's expecting that the father and the family had already disowned him. He wasn't expecting a warm welcome. He was expecting rejection. And so here's the amazing thing is that the father had not disowned him. The father had not rejected him. The son, his greatest hope was to be a slave, and yet the father welcomed him back as a son. What a surprise. And especially for Jesus' hearers, when he was telling the story, that would have been a shock and a surprise to him that the Father welcomed him home with open arms. But the Son needed to get rid of the things of the past, and so the Father gives him a new robe to replace his old, stinky, tattered robe. He gives him a ring to show him that he's back in the family again. 
and he gives them new shoes. Because, hey, who wants shoes with, you know, pig uh, stuff on it in your home? And so he got rid of the old stuff. This speaks of a transformation that happened in the son's life. And again, there's a parallel to us today, the transformation that needs to happen or that Jesus does in our lives as we come to him. Now, notice what the father says, though, and I want to park here for a few minutes because the the father says something very important. In verse 24 and 32, twice he says, my son was dead and my son was lost. You see, even though the father loved the son, there was this recognition that the relationship had been broken and that essentially the son was dead to him. The son was lost, even though he loved him, even though he cared for him. Just as the sheep and the coin were lost, so this son was very much lost. Notice that the father didn't say, well, you know, at least my son's trying to find his own way. Or, you know, at least he's sincere in his belief. Or, you know, all roads lead to home. He didn't say that. He recognized that in the most important relationship, that he was lost and dead. You know, the Bible uses this word lost a number of times. The Greek word is apolumi. I don't expect you to remember that. But um, it's a word that doesn't just mean lost in the sense of, oh, yeah, you know what, I kind of lost my guitar pick and I can't find it. Oh, you know, maybe it's underneath something here. Um, But the word lost is really about something that is in danger of perishing and being destroyed. So there's two other verses that maybe are quite well known that use this word. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That word perish is the same word that's used here for lost. And then 2 Peter 3.8, the Lord is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Again, that word perish is the word lost, right? So lost is not just, you know, to kind of accidentally lose something for a while, but it's something that's in danger of perishing, in danger of being eternally lost. And so that's what the word that Jesus uses here and that he puts in the mouth of the Father. And furthermore, not only was this son in danger of perishing, he was dead, spiritually speaking, relationally speaking. The father loved him, but the son was dead to him. And it's interesting that the father doesn't go and, you know, chase after the son and drag him home. Why? Because unlike kind of a, a dumb sheep or an inanimate coin. The son had a will. The son could choose. And the father was not going to override that will, even though he loved him. And again, it's the same thing in life today. Yes, God loves every single person in this world, but he will not override their will and drag them back home, just like this father did not drag his son back home. There needed to be a change of heart a repentance, a change of direction. He won't drag us against our will. So again, this is the heart of Jesus for you and for me. There is such a thing as being lost spiritually. There is such a thing as being dead spiritually. 
In fact, Jesus' stated purpose in coming to this earth was to seek and to save the lost. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Just a couple chapters afterwards, he talks about the tax collector Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus, you know, repented and came to know the Lord. And Jesus says, my purpose was to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus was all about, to seek those that were spiritually perishing, spiritually dying. You see, Jesus spent time with the lost. Remember, this is Jesus' answer as to why he spent time with the lost. Jesus spent time with the lost not to party, not to have fun, not to do what they did. Right? He didn't start collecting taxes with Matthew, the tax collector, and cheating people along with Matthew. No. He spent time with them in order to rescue them, in order to save them, in order to bring them back to the Father. He wasn't giving a stamp of approval on what they were doing. He joined them to give them a way out, to show them the way out. And so it's important for us to recognize that there are people today, spiritually speaking, who are lost. It's not something that we like to talk about, but who are spiritually dead, spiritually lost. And Jesus' heart, his passion, is for them to be saved, for them to be rescued. And that's his heart for us and for you and for me. That not only would we be rescued, but that we then would go and rescue others. Now, I want us to finish the the chapter here. So verse 25 down to verse 32. It says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he had came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother, though, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Amen to that. So just a couple points here from this last section. First of all, as you mentioned at the beginning, heaven rejoices. Heaven celebrates when that which is lost is found, when that which was spiritually dead is restored to life. You know, the father in this story didn't party when his son was feeding pigs. The father in the story rejoiced when he returned. And that's Jesus' point. Heaven rejoices when the lost is found. And so that's what Jesus, his answer was to these Pharisees. The other thing that I want to mention is that when Jesus looks at the world today, there are literally billions and billions of people who are lost who are like that prodigal son, spiritually lost, spiritually dead. And his heart grieves for them. His heart beats for them. His heart longs for them. Because they're separated from God because of their sin and their sinfulness. 
I want to show you a few statistics here regarding our world today. Um, so if we go to the next slide there, you can see the percent of the world's population. All right, so as I mentioned before, we live in Asia. And if you look at the population of this world, over 7 billion people, you can see that North America, we have just about 4.5% of the world's population. As many people as are in, you know, our neighbors to the south, the USA and us, and we just, Canada just hit 40 million people, I think, last week. We still only have 4.5% of the world's population. South America, you know, less than 10%. Europe, also less than 10%, 9.5%. Africa, 17%. Add that all up. I guess don't forget Australia. What's that? Less than 1%, uh, 0.5%. I don't know if you can read it from back there. But um, add that all up. North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Australia. That's still only 40% of the world's population. The rest of the world, 60% of the world, lives in Asia. The numbers are staggering. We have cities the size of Canada in Asia. And so the numbers are astounding. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that uh, most of those in Asia would be from other religions other than kind of a, a, Christian, a Christian background. So most of North America, South America, Europe, and Sub-Saharan Africa would be at least in some sense nominally Christian or have historically been Christian. But most of Asia would be, it's made up of the blocks of Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, or atheist, uh, communist China. And so when you look at the world today, the vast majority of those who don't know anything about Jesus, anything about Scripture, are in Asia. In fact, if you go to the next slide, you'll see that if you look at the percent of the world's non-Christians, 78% live in Asia. In other words, I recognize that, you know, many in North and South America and so on would maybe uh, be nominally Christian. But those that are decidedly non-Christian, if you look at the numbers, the statistics, 78% of all non-Christians in the world today live in Asia. Yes, there's non-Christians here in Canada, maybe many of your neighbors and so on. But just because of the sheer numbers of people that live in Asia, Asia has almost 80% of all the non-Christians in the world. Those numbers are staggering. And so when God looks out on this world and He sees, you know, those that are lost, and His heart beats for them, I imagine His heart beats for Asia more than almost any other place on earth. At least I like to think of it that way. Because so many of the lost are there. So many of the lost are there. And so, if you go to the next slide, you'll see that, um, sorry, the, the one after that. Um, my wife and I and our kids, we're, we live in Asia, and so what do we do? You see, our, because our heart beats for this part of the world. Well, you know what? Even if we had all of you Ten times of, you know, let's say the numbers of people in this room, it would still be just a drop in the bucket for the billions of people in Asia that don't know Jesus. Again, there's 4.7 billion people in Asia, the majority of whom don't know Jesus at all. And, you know, the, the amazing thing is that, and the astounding, sad thing, 
is that unlike the prodigal son in this story, they don't know how to get home. They don't know how to go back to the father. They don't know that he loves them. Who will tell them? And so our desire in Asia is to strengthen the hands of the local church so that they can go and be a witness. Because even if we had, as I said, 10 times the number of people in this room would be a drop in the bucket. And so our goal is to multiply leaders, multiply workers in Asia who will go and make a difference throughout their countries. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that um, uh, I've been appointed as the Assistant Regional Director for Asia. And so I help to kind of uh, give member care, help with our global workers to uh, help them with strategy, help them ensure that their families are healthy and whole, give a bit of direction and care for them. But that's just a little bit of our work. We also work in um, what we like to call reaching, planting, equipping, and caring. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see that one of the main things that we do is help with reaching. Um, you know, we can't go and hold, uh, you know, evangelistic meetings on the street corner, that kind of thing. And so we work one-on-one -on -one with people. We work in small groups. And uh, one of the things that we do and have done in the past is work with refugees. And so here in this picture, you can see a number of Rohingya refugees. If you know anything about the Rohingya people, they originally came from Myanmar. They were pushed out, many of them over a million now in camps in Bangladesh. Terrible situation there. And many of them are trafficked to other countries, other neighboring countries, and tens of thousands have come to our country. They have no documents. They're stateless, homeless, uh, can't get a job uh, easily. They can't uh, be part of the school system. But they come and they, they basically are uh, mostly construction workers living day to day. And so the church that we are a part of has an outreach to these Rohingya refugees. And through the um, Emergency Relief and Development Organization uh, of the POC, we've been able to help and bless many of these Rohingya uh, men and women. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that through COVID, it was a terrible, difficult time for these Rohingya refugees. So, again, they're mostly working construction. Uh, they get paid on a daily basis. And uh, through COVID, everything was shut down. Basically, for a couple of years, they had no job. And so, literally, they were kind of on the point of starvation. And so, uh, with the help of Erdo, um, we were able to bless them with food, bless them with resources that they could basically survive. And as a part of this, one amazing thing that happened was that uh, we were able to, well, doors were open into not just these men's lives, but also to the community. So if you go to the next picture there, see, these are some women, uh, Rohingya women. And, uh, you know, it's very sad because many of these women, they grew up in these camps in Bangladesh. No hope, no life, just, you know, kind of living uh, in this shack. Many of them were trafficked to our country. And they were sent there in the hopes of marrying somebody and uh, then kind of starting a, a better life. And so you have literally thousands of these women who are being trafficked, some 16, 17, 18 years old. They, they come, they get married, uh, and then they quickly uh, become pregnant and have, have kids. And they've got no family, no access to health care, nothing. And so as we got to know these communities, our partners were able to get to know some of these women. And again, through the Emergency Relief Development Organization of the POC, uh, we were able to help support a maternity a class, maternity clinic for these ladies. Basically able to teach them, you know, what is parenting all about? How do you take care of a child? They're able to get them in connection with 
um, a uh, kind of a medical clinic that would help them to actually have the baby and then care for the baby afterwards. And there are literally dozens and dozens and dozens of these women, even now, who are going through these classes. Um, and again, you know, they, they can't go to, to the hospital because they've got no documentation. Uh, they can't even legally get married because, again, they've got no documentation. Um, they can't run, uh, own or ride a motorbike because they, they can't get a driver's license because uh, they have no documentation. And so one of the other things that we do is we try to get them a, uh, uh, a UN card, so a UNHCR card. That stands for the United Nations uh, High Commission for Refugees. So at least they can have some kind of status in some countries. So that's part of the work that we do with reaching and partnering with those uh, you know, in our church community who are also reaching these kind of people. The other thing that we do is work with church planters. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see that here's uh, some church planters that we work with. These, uh, this church planter is in Indonesia, and uh, you know, just a great guy. And even during COVID, he planted a number of churches um, and uh, discipled and led a number of people to the Lord. You know, his kind of uh, way of reaching out would be go somewhere, um, meet with people, cast out a few demons, start a church, disciple people. And that's basically what he did. He works in tribal areas. There's a lot of uh, demonization, a lot of oppression there, and that's basically what he would do. Uh, he'd go meet with people, find out their problems, pray for them, they'd get delivered, and uh, then he'd start his church. If you go to the next slide, here's another pastor, Pastor Chris, I call him, not his real name. Uh, again, works in Indonesia in a very difficult place where there's a lot of persecution, a lot of opposition. Here he is baptizing somebody in a river in the dark. Now, I don't know about you, was anybody here baptized at night in the dark in a river? Okay, no hands showing. So why would this happen? Why would this take place? Well, obviously because of persecution, right? This uh, young man came from a Muslim background, and his life would be in danger if his village found out that he was following Jesus. And so he wanted to make this uh, commitment to the Lord, you know, in front of some of the other believers that were there. Uh, but out of security, he was, uh, he was baptized at night in the dark. You see, some of these people, when they come to know Jesus, they know the cost. They know that this isn't just, you know, fun and games. It's about actually giving your life to Jesus, taking up your cross and following him. And they're passionate about Jesus, about this Jesus that set them free, that healed them, that delivered them. And so uh, we partner with church planters throughout Asia. We work with them because I, as a foreigner, a white guy, can't go and plant a church. I'll be uh, kicked out, you know, uh, as soon as possible. You know, the, the government could find you and kick you out. But we partner with these church planters because they can go and reach people that we can't. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that we also equip leaders. And so this I'm really passionate about because, again, um, you know, it's one thing to go and, uh, um, you know, for me as a foreigner to go plant a church maybe or, or go do something like that. Um, but global workers come and go. Global workers move. Uh, sometimes we're kicked out of countries. And so the greatest thing that we can do is to equip and strengthen local church leaders who then will go back to their communities and impact their communities. And so the work is multiplied. And so a large part of what I do is work with Bible schools, work with uh, leaders to help train them. Uh, one of the programs that we've got is called the Ministry Essentials Training Program. It's a bit of a mouthful, but uh, this is kind of a new program that uh, just kind of started a few years ago. 
um, led by Rainer Middlestadt, who's also a global worker in BC. But um, he asked me to work with him. And so we, we did this curriculum. It's basically like a 12-course, uh, one-year discipleship program for lay leaders, people that can't go to Bible school. And uh, once they're done, you know, these 12 courses, they get a diploma actually from Summit Pacific College, the college that Peter and I went to. Uh, they get a diploma, and um, the, uh, they're recognized for uh, the ministry that they can do in the church. And so the goal is that these leaders would be equipped, would be strengthened in their communities. If you go to the next slide, you'll see that we're rolling this out in a number of countries. Uh, and so we've done it in the Philippines, Thailand. Uh, this is in Bangladesh. And uh, the amazing thing is that, you know, the, the group that we work with in Bangladesh, the PAOB, Pentecostal of Bangladesh, they have over 3,500 churches. Now, some are small, you know, maybe a house church of 10 or 15 people. But they've got 3,500 churches or meeting points. And their goal is to have at least five leaders in each of these churches trained with this curriculum. That'll be over 15,000 leaders. Now, again, we can't do that all ourselves. And so what we did this last year, we, we kind of did the pilot program where we would train their key leaders. And so in this room with me here, in this picture, uh, there's about 30 leaders. Some of them are district leaders of 10 or 15 pastors. Some have 200 pastors under them. And so we're training them in this curriculum. It's, again, basically uh, ministry essentials, you know, how to uh, share the Word of God, how to uh, understand the Word of God, how to disciple people, how to mentor. Um, there's courses on a marriage and the family, how to have a, a Christian marriage and family. And uh, very practical tools for some of these leaders. And so once they've gone through this course, and they just finished a, a couple months ago, then they will each go back to their district and train the pastors under them. And then those pastors under them will train the leaders in their church. And the hope is that in, you know, three or four years, these 15,000 leaders will be trained. And 15,000 communities will have strong, godly, biblical foundation for reaching their communities. Uh, so we're excited about that. If you go to the next slide, you see the last thing that we focus on is caring. There's so much need. I mean, there's so much need everywhere. Um, but in Asia, there's so much both spiritual and physical need. And one of the things that we've done for the last 10 years is we partner with a special needs school in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka's gone through a very difficult time you know, the last number of years, not only COVID, but uh, their economy crashed a year ago. Uh, the government was kicked out basically a year ago as well. And, uh, you know, just a very, very difficult situation there. Um, but there's this uh, Christian lady that cares for these special needs children. She started this home about uh, 15 years ago. We've been partnering with them for the last 10 years. And, you know, the, the sad thing is that uh, in Sri Lanka, which is a Buddhist country, uh, everything runs on the idea of karma. Now here, in North America, and maybe through Hollywood, you've heard about ka uh, karma. Um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a... I've seen it in coffee shops here, you know, kind of a karma cup that you can put tips in and that kind of thing. Uh, an interesting idea that, um, you know, if you do something good, well, good will come back to you. But the reality is that in a Buddhist country where everything runs on karma, the reality is that everything has happened because of something that you've done in your past life. And so a child with special needs that is born, their belief is that they did something bad in their past life or their parents did something bad in their past life. And that's why they were born with those needs. That's a very negative, terrible way of viewing life. But that's the reality. 
that these children face. And so there's great stigma, there's great shame uh, attached to these families. And so this Christian lady said, no, I want to do something for these kids. They're not a product of, you know, their past life. God loves them. God cares for them. I care for them. And so she started this home. And so we work with them uh, to help. We bring in physical, uh, physiotherapists, speech therapists, and we basically just renovated their whole school this last year. And uh, so that's just a joy for us to work with these children. I was just there last month, and uh, they're doing amazing. If you go to the next slide, you'll see uh, that was Leon. Uh, it was on Mother's Day. He was making something for his mom. And uh, just a joy to be with these kids and see how they've grown, see how they've changed over the years. And that they're able now to hear about a God that loves them, a God that cares for them, a God that created them with a purpose and with a plan. So that's just a very brief, very quick kind of overview of some of the things that we do with reaching, planting, equipping, and caring so that we can strengthen the local church, so that the local church in Asia can then multiply into their villages and communities with the light and love and hope of Jesus. So as we close, I want to just mention a couple things. First of all, I just want to say thank you once again for your support, for your prayers, because your support has helped us to do this. Your support has helped us to uh, plant the churches. Your support has helped us to reach refugees. Your support has helped us to equip leaders across Asia and to care for children like these special needs children. We can't do this without you. Uh, and so I just want to say a huge thank you to you. And I want to also say that if you want um, kind of more in-depth uh, kind of stories and news. We've got a newsletter that we send out. You can sign up for it at the back. We have prayer cards. We'd love for you to take one and just pray for us. Pray for the Lord's strength. Pray for the Lord's anointing and protection as we live and minister there in Asia. So a final couple of things. As we think about the message this morning, as we think about God's heart for the world. You know, there is lost everywhere, including in this town including here in Duncan and on the island. There are people who are spiritually lost and dead. And God, he longs for them to come back home. But there's also this subtle point that Jesus makes. And I want us to think about that just for a moment. And that's the point of the older brother. The older brother, who was not celebrating with the father, the older brother was thinking more about himself than about the lost. He had this idea, what's in it for me? Come on, Dad, what's in it for me? Why are you so concerned about that lost son of yours out there who left us? That's his fault. He's getting what he deserved. What about me? Don't I deserve a happy life? He had, this older son had a passion for his own comfort, not a passion for the lost. And you know, sometimes I can be like that, even as a global worker. I can be focused on myself. But I believe that Jesus' heart is for all of us to have a heart like Jesus, not like the older son. A heart that beats with a passion for the lost. It's not just wrapped up in our own comfort. Dad, how come I don't have a goat? Right? How come I don't have this good stuff? And the father says, we had to. We had to celebrate because... What was lost has been found. So I'd like us to pray. I'd like us to bow our heads. And just two quick questions. Maybe, first of all, 
you feel like you need a new passion for the lost. Maybe it's for the lost here in Canada or for the lost around the world. Maybe, like myself sometimes, you can be a little bit more like the older brother than like Jesus. Or maybe somebody here is away from the father. Maybe you're more like the prodigal son. I want to encourage you this morning. It's time to come back home. The father's not disowned you. He's not rejected you. He'll welcome you with open arms. He wants you to turn and come back. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your great love and for your great grace. Lord, I thank you for your love for this world, that even though, Lord, we've messed up, we're, we're like living in a pig pen. Lord, you still loved us. You still accept us. You don't reject us. And yet, Lord, we know that we need to leave that and come back home. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody in this place that's in that situation, that, Lord, you draw them to yourself this morning. And, Lord, I pray for each one of us that you'd give us a new passion for the lost. The Lord, we would reflect your heart. Lord Jesus, we'd be more like you than, than like the older son. Lord, give us a passion for the lost. Help us to recognize that, yes, people are lost, and that, Jesus, you're the only way back home. So give us this passion, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.